Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, October 27th, 2022. As Christians, one of the words we like to use to refer to ourselves and really the state of our lives is saved. We're saved. Or maybe you talk about your testimony and you tell people about when you got saved. Well, today we want to ask the question, saved from what and saved to what? Uh, What were you saved from? And what now are you saved to? And I want us to look at this biblically and just by way of starters, there, there is not only one biblical answer to that question. The Bible uh, talks about many things. It talks about being saved from wrath. It, it talks about being delivered, uh, even to some extent, from Satan, the one who has the power of death, who has the world uh, in this lifelong slavery because of the fear of death. There's a lot of things the Bible talks about us, even in really thinking about our salvation, not just in a temporary sense or deliverance, but really our eternal salvation. There's lots of words and ideas that the Bible uses. And today in 1 Peter 1, we're even going to look at a couple of them as we think, what were we saved from and what are we saved to? Now, the most common thing that probably comes into many people's mind when we think of saved from what and to what, one of the things that's biblically true that we're going to see here is, well, I'm saved from hell and judgment and I'm saved to eternal life and glory. And that's one of the things that we see here in 1 Peter, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there it describes really not so much that we're saved from hell, but it really talks about what we are saved to, what we're saved to this inheritance and this living hope. And I hope that is something that you think about today. I love the way that it is described to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. I remember one time I was with my family and I must have read this verse recently because I was thinking about it and we were actually on vacation. This was when I was a high school student in Texas and we were on vacation visiting my brother who lived in the Bay Area of California and we took a day trip down to Monterey. And you probably are seeing where this is going. You, If you know me, you know my family. We enjoy the game of golf. And so we went to one of the meccas, one of the most pristine golf courses in the world, Pebble Beach there in Monterey, California. And I remember uh, standing there by the 18th green of the course and looking at the hotel that is right behind you and thinking to myself, now, wouldn't it be cool to have a reservation here. Well, what do you got to do to get a reservation here? And that's that word 
kept there, sometimes even translated reserved. Uh, This inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, it is reserved in heaven for you. If you are in Christ, you've got a reservation with your name on it uh, somewhere that's a lot better than the lodge at Pebble Beach, uh, somewhere that's a lot better than anywhere this world has to offer. And it's imperishable. It it won't go bad. Think of perishable foods. Uh, Think of milk that's past its due date, right? No, your inheritance won't do that. It won't be defiled. It won't be uh, spoiled. No, no one can ruin it. And it's unfading. It's not like pretty much anything new that you buy uh, in this world. It, well, it doesn't stay new for very long. This inheritance will somehow be constantly fresh. Um, C.S. Lewis described it like a book where each chapter is better than the one before, right? Uh, that, that's this inheritance that is uh, kept in heaven for us. So you have been saved, saved from eternal destruction and saved to a living hope. Now, another thing, that's where a lot of people kind of stop there. And we need to realize there are more things in the Bible uh, that tell us what we are saved from. And we see another thing in verse 18. Here, it doesn't use the word saved, but it uses the word ransomed, which has kind of the same idea. You've been ransomed. And what does it say you've been ransomed from? Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So you were saved from a futile, worthless life. Or another thing that gives us that idea is verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Basically describing before Christ, your life of sin, that was a life of ignorance and a life of futility. Uh, The Bible makes it clear. It's not like sin actually is all that great. But then the problem is you then what well, you you live it up here and everything's great and just the problem is you go to hell when you die. No, sin is destructive right here, right now. It's ignorant, it is futile, it is worthless, it is painful, it is destructive. And God has saved you from sin, uh, even right now in this life. And so that's where from the context there, you have been saved from sin and really from this ignorant, worthless way of living to holiness. And in between the two references we looked at, that's what there is. There is a call to be holy. Even it says, be holy as I am holy. So there is a clear standard that God is calling us to. Uh, and it's based on this. Well, that's because what, that's what you've been saved to. You've been saved from the opposite. You've been saved to holiness. And there's a link between the two. One of the things that helps us grow in that holiness is thinking of the hope and the inheritance that God has saved us to. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. Go all in on that future grace. Uh, that, that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that will help you now to be holy and to live that life that God has saved you to from that worthless, ignorant way of living. Now, what we've talked about a couple of things we have been saved from and to, I want to talk about something you are not saved from as a Christian. And that, look at verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. One thing that you are not saved from is trials and suffering. The Bible never teaches 
If you put your faith in Christ, you will have no trials and no suffering. If anything, the Bible teaches, hey, if you put your faith in Christ, you will have trials and suffering. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And also, we see uh, just in general from the New Testament, suffering and trials are actually one of the main tools that God uses to shape us into godly character, into a Christ-like character, and to humble us under the mighty hand of God. God uses trials and suffering to do that. So I know that's not a popular thing to say in today's day and age. And there's a lot of churches that basically want you to believe, hey, if you believe in Christ, your life will be great. The problem is that's just not what the Bible says. And even here, it reminds us of the purpose of trials, uh, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Oh man, please get to know godly saints that have served the Lord for a long time. Read biographies of Christian pastors or missionaries, and you will see they suffer and they don't begrudge the suffering because the suffering proves and tests and builds their faith. And that that growth in faith is more precious than gold. It's amazing. You could go to Christians that have suffered and say, well, what if I could go back and instead of you suffering, I could give you a life of riches. I bet most of them would say, no, I wouldn't trade it for the world because God has used it to grow my faith. And that is better than anything that money can buy. And it results in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you have been saved from judgment to a living hope and an inheritance. You have been saved from a worthless, ignorant way of living to holiness. And you have been saved. You have not been saved. You you will not be, you're not promised deliverance uh, from trials or suffering in the Christian life. Now let's go to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 4 through 6. And here we see in just these introductory chapters, really a lot that is telling of the wickedness of the nation. Really, again, this is focused on the southern kingdom of Judah. At this point, the northern kingdom of Israel is long gone. Uh, But we're focusing on the southern kingdom of Israel. They're speaking of disaster. It's speaking really of the judgment. And and there's just some lines in here that stood out. The end of chapter five stood out to me. It says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? That's one of those things as you read through the prophets. And again, I don't want to over-Christianize America or I make it sound like we're now God's chosen people on planet Earth. Um, but some of the things that you see God is prophesying judgment for on the nation of, of Judah here, you see, yeah, that, that, that sounds like my nation it has some of those same problems, right? Where today there's so much false teaching that there is so much out there that people are, are claiming the truth. Uh, and then you see that, that line that just twists the knife there is my people love to have it. So, right. Oh, that, 
that should get us praying for our nation. That part of the problem is not just that there are false teachers saying false things, but that people love to have it so. And then in chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. And there it says, but they said, we will not walk in it. Oh, as God's people today, let's say, no, 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 I will walk in it. Where are the ancient paths? Where is the good way? And I'm going to walk in that and find rest for my soul. Yes, it is a dark world out there. Uh, There is so much for which God should bring judgment to our nation and to many nations in the world. But let's be the people who say, I'm looking for God's way and I'm going to walk in that. And even in a dark world, there is rest for our souls in the way that Christ has provided because he is our savior. He's the one who saves us from sin, saves us from death, saves us from destruction, and and frees us to holiness, frees us to an inheritance, frees us to eternal life. So let's rejoice in those things today and seek those things today, even though we still live in this broken world. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.